Uh, you know, when I think about COVID, I think the thing I'm most sad about uh, are children. You know, I think about uh, the kids, you know, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, and how the vast majority of them, I mean, th- this is where the time is ripe uh, to learn to read. And you can look at study after study at the importance of preschool, the importance of learning to read during these years. And just how many children will not learn to read because those years for them lined up for the years of the pandemic. And that makes me really sad. It makes me really sad the amount of neglect. It makes me really sad the amount of abuse that's taking place because there's not another caring adult outside of their caregiver who, have, who has eyes on them. Where normal circumstances, there are people, caring adults, usually in a school, have their eyes on them. Uh, we used to, not anymore, uh, a woman who's in our church, Caroline Rochelle, she, was, uh, she is the executive director for the Kentucky Advocacy Center for Children. In the months of March, April, and May, collectively, over the last year, they had a 66% decrease in the number of calls that they received, meaning a two-thirds decrease in the amount of abuse that was given, not because there's two-thirds of, of, of a decrease in abuse happening, but because there was a two-thirds decrease and that reported, it makes you really sad. It makes me really sad there just aren't other caring adults around. I mean, a lot of times the only ones that are around are their parents or their guardians, and that's it. And I think about this when it comes to church. You know, we've not had nursery. Uh, there are 58 children on our rolls, and if I'm uh, counting correctly, I think we're at six, and they're all... <laughs> mine and Justin's kids uh, that are here tonight. Uh, and that makes me really sad because my favorite part of, of church isn't hobnobbing before or after. It's not preaching. It's blessing the children during communion. That's my favorite part by a mile. It's not even close. I mean, you all have no idea what happens <laughs> between me and them up here. They come up here. I say the same thing to them every week. I say, may the Jesus who's been proclaimed be the Jesus that you know. And sometimes the kids are scared to death. They're stiff as a board. I'm the biggest person they've ever seen in their life. Uh, other times uh, they say, I love you, Pastor Marshall. Uh, sometimes they say, you too. <laughs> it's just so funny. And I just love those little boogers. I miss them. I said 57 children. Of those 57, 28 of those 57 are somewhere between in utero and two. Half of them. And I hate that for some of them, we've not even got to meet them because of COVID. But at some point, all those little people will be back. And I really can't wait. And as we wait, I wanted to prepare our church uh, as we wait for our children to come back and be with us. So I'm going to preach from Luke chapter 18. Now, They were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The word of the Lord. Jen and I, maybe, uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, uh, we went to the Kentucky Theater, the old theater downtown, and we watched a documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor? 
It's about uh, Fred Rogers. If you've not seen it, uh, I, I don't know how you're going to see it. You can for sure get it on Prime and spend uh, $3.99. Be the best $3.99 you've ever spent. And uh, when Jen and I went, we had heard a lot of good things about it. Uh, Jen and I both watched the show when we were growing up. I mean, it did run for 35 continuous years. In, th- in those 35 years, uh, lined up with our childhoods. And so I was hoping for a really good trip down memory lane by watching this documentary. But I got a lot more than a trip down memory lane. Uh, I got to sit in a theater with other grown adults weeping like a baby. And what moved me about Fred Rogers was his deep love for children. He was a master at communicating with them. And I think the reason he was a master at communicating with them was because he loved them so much. Now, Fred Rogers, I didn't know this, but he was a Christian, and believe it or not, he was a Presbyterian minister. And his faith was a really big part of his life, and I think he learned his value of children from Jesus. See, Jesus was a kid magnet. That's what we just read in Luke chapter 18. That's what we see in our passage. And what you saw were parents who are coming to Jesus to bring their babies to him so that he might bless them. But standing between the parents with their babies and Jesus are the disciples. And when the parents show up, they get a sharp scold from Jesus' disciples right here. Do you see it there in verse 15? The end of verse 15, it says that the disciples rebuked them, rebuked the parents. Now, this wasn't a polite, sorry, sir. Jesus is busy. He'll get to blessing your child later. No, no, no. This was much more harsh. It was demonstrating strong disapproval. This word rebuke was used two other times in the Gospels. One time, it was used by Jesus when he rebuked the waves and calmed the storm. Strong disapproval. Waves, get down. (laughs) Parents, get down. Get out of here. The other time, it was used when Jesus rebuked the demons. The demons were causing havoc in a person, and Jesus wanted them to quit causing havoc. He wanted them to get down, get out of here. So the disciples do this to these parents. And I think it was because the disciples thought that Jesus needed to spend his time doing more important things, things like hobnobbing with the political elite. He needed to spend his time arguing with the and debating with the Jewish religious leaders. He needed to be raising funds for the kingdom's cause. See, in the disciples' views, children were just getting in the way of him being about real ministry. Now, the disciples might have shooed these children off, but Jesus calls them back. He deeply desired to be with them, and Jesus says... Let the children, verse 16, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. In a parallel passage, we read this from Luke 18, but if you were to look at the Gospel of Mark and what he says, he says that Jesus says, do not, let, that let the children come to me, do not hinder them. And it says that he takes them up into his arms and that he blesses them and that he lays his hands on them. And then you see Jesus throughout his ministry. He's performing miracles, and it seems like a disproportionate number of them are performed upon children. 
So clearly, Jesus isn't bothered by the children here in Luke 18. What he's bothered by are the disciples' view of children. Again, in that Mark passage, the parallel passage, it says that Jesus was indignant toward the disciples for their view of children. Jesus was provoked. And they needed a solid correcting, and truthfully, brother and sister, I think we do too. Now, we might be baby-obsessed. We've got these gender reveal parties. We've got shower after shower after shower after shower after shower. We're in this baby-obsessed culture. And when they get a little bit older, we helicopter parent them, that we micromanage their every decision. Our whole life seems to hang in the balance on their every move that they might ruin their lives, so we helicopter parent. But our view of children really is very privatized. We think that the only people responsible for children are the parents and those who operate in an official capacity with them, like teachers and therapists and healthcare professionals. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus walked into a room, he found a child, and he conversated with them. Do you do that? I have a tendency to walk in my friends' homes. I don't even acknowledge the children unless they address me. It's almost as if the children are a distraction from the real business of me being there. I think the real conversation to be had is the conversation with the adult. But Jesus would come into my friends' homes, and Jesus would come into our church, and he would find the kids. Normally, when we have this greeting of peace, I think Jesus would make a beeline to every child in the sanctuary. He would seek the kids out. He would know their names. Now, I know this might draw up all kinds of images for you. You might say, Marsh, if I did that, it would be really creepy. And my response to that is, isn't that sad? You know, Fred Rogers, I didn't know this until we watched the documentary, but people accused him of being a pedophile. He didn't have a single allegation of such, and certainly not a conviction. But people said that about him just because he was good with children. See, it's a sad thing for a man to want to love children and then for that love to be equated with something sick. Now, I'm not saying our children don't need to protect it. I'm not saying that children aren't abused, that that's just fake news. I'm simply saying that there are appropriate forms of showing kids love that are of Jesus. And we oftentimes refuse to extend that love because we don't value children the way that Jesus did. And this whole idea of valuing children could not be more important for us in our community. I told you, we got babies coming out of our earlobes. They're not all here, but they're connected to us in real ways. We've taken vows to them, and they've taken vows to us. I don't even know if you can remember the good old days, but the good old days when you guys would go, you'd get your babies out of the nursery, you'd come back in here, and the babies would just be chirping to one another. It almost seemed like they were going to take over. And if God is so kind to us, the percentage of children in our midst is only going to increase. And I say, may it be so. 
And that means that all of us, not just the parents, that we all have responsibility for all of these little people, all of these little image bearers. Because our children need more than just a parent or two. They need the church. They need us to come alongside of them and care for them in these early years. The children need us to be good examples of godliness and humility. And all along the way, our children need us to pray for them. So can I encourage you with something? Every time that you see a child baptized, write their name in a note in your app and pray for them. And not only do the children in our church need us, so do the children in our neighborhood. There's a whole host of factors of why the children in our neighborhood need us. There's drugs, there's neglect, there's abuse, there's a lack of opportunity, there's unjust policy, and they all leave the children of our neighborhood vulnerable. And if you're a teacher, would you consider being a teacher in our neighborhood? Maybe you're not a teacher. (laughs) Would you consider volunteering with Amachi, volunteering with Common Good, these Programs that mentor children in our neighborhood. The children of our neighborhood need loving adults in their life. I think that's where we'd find Jesus. So according to Jesus, there's just no such thing as those who are gifted to work with children and those who aren't. According to Jesus, loving children is part and parcel, part of the kingdom of God. It's a mark of holiness. But Jesus, in this passage, he shifts from talking about the value of children, verses 15 and 16, to talking about children as examples. What do they have to teach us? The children, in many ways, are our greatest teachers. What do they have to teach us? And what Jesus says is that the disciples have to become like children if they want to enter the kingdom of God. That they have to grow down into children. That children don't have to grow up to being disciples. So what does this mean? What does it mean for them to become like children? Does it mean that they become naive like children? Innocent like children? Underdeveloped like children? Cute like children? I don't think it means any of those things. I think it means that we are to become dependent like children. But what does it mean to become dependent? Well, it means you've got to give up. <laughs> That's what it means. It means you've got to quit all of your efforts that center upon your independence. See, the very mark of being fallen people is that we want to set our own course, that we want to live independently from God and independently from one another. But when you're a child, you naturally, your every instinct is geared towards dependence, dependence upon God Independence upon other people. But as we live independently, we just want our good deeds to pile up and outweigh our bad deeds. And really that leaves us in control. It leaves us independent. But if we're going to be dependent, we've got to rely on someone else. We've got to rely on someone else to do all the work that's required for our salvation. And that someone else is Jesus. It's his righteous death. It's his, substitu- it's his righteous life. It's his substitutionary death. It's his bodily resurrection that we depend on to make us right before him. And that's dependence of the highest order. But what's it going to do? What's it going to take to induce you, to compel you, to get you to want to depend on Jesus? 
That's a whole different question. Sure, that's what you should do, but why should you want to do it? Well, some of us, we're not all that thrilled about depending on Jesus because when we think about Jesus, we think that he's distant, aloof, cold, and personal. And that's Jesus at his best. Others of us, we think if we come to Jesus as a child that he's going to be harsh towards us. But I think that for me, if I were to come to him, I think I might find a man who scolds me, who shames me, who embarrasses me. But that's not the Jesus of the scriptures. The Jesus of the scriptures that you find when you come to him is someone who's lovely, who's gentle, who's kind, who's meek. And when you find him to be that way, I think you'll be shocked. It'll be unexpected because you'll find someone who has open arms, who's ready to embrace you, who's ready to forget all of your sins as if they had never been. You'll begin to see that it's your sinfulness, it's your weakness, it's your brokenness, and it's your smallness that doesn't repel him. That's what draws him to you. But we don't want to accept our brokenness. We don't want to accept our sin. We don't want to accept our weakness. We don't expect our smallness. Rather, we would rather defend ourselves. We'd rather remain blind to our sin. We'd rather, to, we'd rather be strong and right. We'd rather have it all together, at least most of the time. And we end up being pretty impressed with ourselves. And when we are, we have no felt need for Jesus. We just don't sense any need for dependence upon him, any reliance upon him. Because for the most part, we think we've got this all taken care of. But when you think you've got it all taken care of, you will never know the kind welcome of Jesus because you'll never go to him. I know that sounds really grave, but it's true. And the truth is, it just gets darker. Because not only will you not know the kind welcome of Jesus, neither will our children. Because all the while, you'll be giving off these vibes, these vibes that, you, that because you need to be right, good, and strong, that they need to be right, good, and strong. And when you're right, good, and when you have to be right, you have to be good, you have to be strong, you will not come to Jesus. Now, you can think you're loving your children. You can think that you're loving other people's children. You're providing three square meals for them. You're doing family devotions with them. You're developing them in their extracurriculars. You're serving in the nursery. You're helping put our fledgling uh, church's children's ministry program together. And you can do all of that while missing out on giving children what they need the most. What our children need more than anything else is that they need to know when they go off to college, when, when they turn 18, when they're adults, they need to know that it's not their sin and it's not their suffering that will ever 
repel Jesus. They need to know that it's their sin and their suffering that enhances Jesus' comfort toward them. They need to know that they have an advocate. They need to know they have someone who intercedes for them. They need to know that Jesus never casts out anyone who comes to him. They need to know that when they feel unclean, that they're like the lepers, they're like the prostitutes, that they need to see Jesus move towards them. And if they know that about Jesus, and they've seen you, and they've seen me go to Jesus time and time and time again, then I think we will see a generation of children who are radiant with gospel glory. And wouldn't that be wonderful? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, um, we confess that we don't like feeling weak. We don't like feeling broken. We don't like our sin. We, we don't like admitting our sin. We don't like feeling small and powerless. But, Lord, I pray you would convince us that that is exactly the state that we need to accept if we are to experience your great mercy. Oh, so Lord Jesus, we want to come to you and find in you 10,000 charms. And we want our children to find 10,000 charms in you too. In Christ's name, amen.